I'm Toshi Regan. And I'm Adrian Marie Brown. Here, we just need to clarify that what you're about to hear was taped before the coronavirus pandemic and before the most recent popular uprisings against the police murder of Black people. From episode seven on, we'll be talking about the book explicitly in this current context. For these first few episodes, we talked about the work in the context of all the usual mess. So be it, see to it. (laughs) So be it, see to it. Welcome back to the Parables Podcast with Adrian Marie Brown and Toshi Reagan. Yes, we yes. We are on chapter five of the Parable of the Sower. Chapter five. Belief initiates and guides action, or it does nothing. Earth seed, the books of the living. We are Sunday, March 2nd, 2025. I want to say that this is another one of the verses that I kind of like have considered tattooing on my forehead. (laughs) Like it feels like so fundamentally um, a way that I understand how the world works and needs to work. I think maybe in my early 20s, I lost interest in people who wanted to talk a lot about beliefs, but then put no actions into them, move nothing behind it. And I've been learning as I got older that this might be a Virgo thing, that (laughs) Virgos apparently are like, don't come and complain to me if you're not going to do something about it. If you're not interested in a solution, if you're not interested in making a way. Um, And I feel like this, um, this one to me is the space between the, the activist and the organizer in some ways. Um, And the, or, you know, the person who's got a, a critique and is watching the news and knows all the stuff that's happening and has a strong opinion about it at the dinner table, but they do nothing. And, this whole book is set on a foundation that only comes from a lot of people saying a lot of things and doing nothing. So I love the critique of this, this verse of our seed. To me, it's like Octavia at her sharpest. Yes. So in this chapter. In this chapter, we get rain. We get rain. We get rain. We get free water. It's so deep. I want to say how, how already in 2020, I, you know, I spend part of my time each year in California. I'm a student of generative somatics. And so I'm back there several times a year to learn. And this year has been fires for the past few years. It's just been fires and droughts, fires and droughts. And so watching people that I really love and care about have to figure out in real time Um, how to wear the right kind of masks that will actually protect them from the fires. Um, I've had friends who've actually lost homes that they grew up in, Mm. um, towns that they loved, places that they loved. Um, I've seen, you know, this past summer, I was at at this hot springs up north, and a friend of mine came up and she was like, yeah, we've been without power for the past week. Um, at my dad's because of the fires. And so it's it's very lit live. And so I was just in California this past weekend and it rained. And it was like, 
you know, like everyone kind of looked to the windows and there was this like almost childlike excitement to see the rain. Yeah. And it feels like that here because it's like there is such a, a taken for granted that it's like, yeah, it doesn't rain. It's years since rain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it's deep. I think I read that in Australia, they can't put out the fire like it's it. too big and they're they're just going to wait for this rainy season to come. Yeah. And, and what if it never comes? And yeah, that's what I was thinking. What is it? Is it going to come? It's heartbreaking, yeah. um, on an on a deepest level. Um, so they get some rain, and it's really wonderful. And of course, now I remember being in Melbourne um, a few years ago, and the sky would get really dark, and the, and it would thunder. It yes. And then it wouldn't rain. Oof, oof. It would be like you know. And then it rained a tiny bit. And people were like, oh, it's so weird. It never rains here, but now it's raining. And they were apologizing to me. And I'm like, don't y'all need this little bit of rain? You need every drop. <laughs> every drop, yeah, it was helpful. So they get this rain. Um, and they didn't believe it. It was like the storm was coming and people kept being like, it's not going to no, be raining. It's just going to be, be some wind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be that like, oh, maybe. Yeah. Um, so... They get this rain. Um, they get this uh, out there, and they're getting their bound barrels and anything that they can fill um, up with water. Uh, it's such a blessing. Water is very, very, very expensive, and so this rain is is making everything right. Um, and then little Amy Dunn is dead, <sighs> and um, she's shot by what they think is a stray bullet um, that gets through their gate. And it's just, uh, it's terrible. Um, Lauren really, really feels this. Yeah. She had really taken her under her wing, and it is it, it is really hard for her to take. Also, I think because Amy had already figured out, like, she needed to be in that house. Yeah. So she just would wander she was out of like, that I'm house. Go She's out. like, you know what? It's I better. Mean, that child survival mechanism is deep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I love that Lauren's like, I'm a claim Amy is one of us. Yes. And, you know, her family maybe um, neglected her, but she didn't have to be neglected yeah. by, by the community. Um, so it, it's an escalation. If you go back a few chapters, it's like really shocking that somebody cut their laser wire and got into the community yes. and what happened with Mrs. Sims. And yeah, um, it shows and, how vulnerable they really are. Like that we start to see the porousness of the wall yeah. and how a wall is never actually safe as much as it is an invitation to tear down the wall. Yeah. People looking at it every day and, um, and getting thoughts into their minds. So that is, that is really, 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 really something that, that I know mm. uh, in this story Lauren pays attention to. Yeah. Um, I think everybody starts to notice it, but I think it's that thing of, you know, if we say out loud what we're thinking, like we're actually saying where we are, and if we say where we are, like we have to make decisions based on the information, and, and maybe nobody is ready to make those decisions. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I think that's huge, and I also think this piece around 
something around Amy's death really brings to the forefront for Lauren, like her, how she's like, I love my family. I love the people I know, but I really, I hate this place. And to me, this is where she begins to precede, like what would a community actually look like that I could love? Mm. And having never really known anything other than this way of living, right? That spark starts in her, right? Of like, I hate this. And I feel like so often that's how we figure it out. That's how we figure it out. That's how we figure out like something else has to be. This is not right. We start to imagine Mm -hmm. what could happen and then we start to build it. Yeah, longing. Yes. Um, This emotion around Amy done, I think it ignites Lauren to really like, it almost feels like she's like, no, it's time to push up my plans. Yeah. You know, because immediately um, after they have a service for um, Amy that her father um, preaches, uh, her best friend Joanne is like, you know, really acknowledging that Lauren loved Amy and, and kind of took care of her. Yeah. And that's that's an opening for Lauren. Yes. Like, because Lauren is, is about to, like, be yeah. like, look, this is too much. Like, we got the baby being shot through the, yeah. you know, it's not okay. And um, Lauren, you know, starts to test, yeah. you know, her information um, with her best friend. And she feels confident because, yeah. you know, they're best friends. She knows her better than anybody. And she feels strong to be able to, like, say her truth. And her truth is, like, everything. That's like, right. It's all the everythings <laughs> on every level, you know. And she's she's breaking down, like, where they really are and what's really happening. Exactly. And, like, really saying that you need to be aware, like, I can't hold it by myself. And I really appreciate the presence of Joanne here, <laughs> the friend who's just like, I I know, like, I heard about this, I heard about that, and I feel like often I have either been that person or I have been talking to that person, like, no, for real, for real, right? But she and Joanne have this relationship of, like, there's something horribly wrong. You know, Lauren's like, this is bad, this is horribly wrong, and Joanne's like, I've heard about that, I've heard about this, but right now we're here, and actually things are not that bad. Yeah, and also I love that, Joanne is like shocked by everything. And like at one point she's like, why do you want to talk about this stuff? (laughs) And she goes, we can't do anything about it. And Lauren's like, we have to. And she's like, we're 15, yo. Exactly. (laughs) And I think it's, it's sometimes when you see people and they're extraordinary and they're like, you know, how old is Greta? Like, you know, and, (laughs) and they're extraordinary. You're kind of like, ignore their age at a certain point they do so many extraordinary things you're just like well i'm just gonna pretend like you know they i'm gonna overlook yeah that somehow or let it fall away like it's both the thing that is remarkable and it's just like okay like greta you know malala there's like these young people who come up and you're just sort of like okay but then you know again with each of those people so often what they're doing is just telling the truth and it's like, oh, somehow you stayed connected to your root system that yeah. knows the truth and you're willing to speak it. That's great. You yeah. Know, that's what we need. And I feel like that shows you how extraordinary the truth is. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it takes me back to this, like, why are we having so many conversations? Yeah. You know, because, the, the, you know, there is a truth and there is a witnessed and experienced truth. And um, 
you know, yeah. and it's burning right yes. now all over the planet. Yeah. So like, and why we're we going to be the this? ones who bear, you know, like this conversation is like, these are the 15 years. Y'all are going to be the ones who live in it. Yeah. And I think that so often with the young people that are leading us right now is they're saying like, we're the ones who we will bear the res- like you, you are leaving us your mess. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to deal with it. And I love that Lauren's like, I want to understand everything I can about how I'm going to have to deal with it. And Joanne's a little like, I want to wait as long as I ha- as I can to have to deal with anything, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and I think that that position, you know, is, is beautifully put in these young people. But that's a lot of what's happening in the world yeah. is that there's people who are like, it's time now. We're the ones who are going to have to deal with it. It's time to take responsibility. And then there's a huge portion of people who are like, mm, not yet. Yeah. And then the generational thing it's is deep yeah. is because... Um, you know, once you're in a practice of being who you are yeah. on the planet and, you know, when do you change? That's right. You know, when, when it's at your front door, That's right. then you're like, oh, we have to change. Or when you change, if you have, you know, that walled community, they obviously started changing before. That's right. right. Like they put, I always think the wall was like a little, like a little wall at first. Yeah. You know, like we're just going to put a fence <laughs> Or just like having stuff that is more and less gated, yeah. you know, more and less closed up. Yeah. I was just in Puerto Rico um, and driving around and, you know, thinking about like, okay, what has Puerto Rico been through this year? And noticing that some of the communities I was coming in and out have had gates on the ends, like yeah. where, where the roads were. And thinking about how many places I've been like that, where it's just like, oh, it starts like that. Like if we yeah. needed to, we could shut this area off. And that doesn't mean people couldn't come over the fences or whatever, but... The indication right. is there. You can't just drive up in here. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you start there, and then you start to build something up that's a little more, and then you start to build something that's harder to get over, and then impossible to get over, and then, you know, yeah. armed, and then someone's, you know, secure, watching it, whatever. And it's like, before you know it, you have a nation that has a wall around it. Yeah. <laughs> or wants to. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. They're having this deep conversation. They're having lunch. Yes. They're having like some acorn bread. And and Lauren is breaking down everything and Joanne's Joanne's completely shocked. Yeah. I mean, she's like like sleep outdoors, like what? Yes. What are you talking about? Like That's right. We have houses, like we we have bedrooms and yeah. closets and you know. Yeah, and you know, Lauren says that She's telling her all this stuff, and she goes, you know that as well as I do. It's going to happen someday. Like, people are going to come through this gate. And Joanna's like, oh, I no, I don't. And she's, like, sitting up, like, offended. And she's like, Joanne, we're in trouble. You've already admitted that. And she's like, sure, more shootings, more break-ins. But, like, you know, kind of like that's as far as it's going to go. Mm-hmm. And Lauren's like, no, we're going to be hit and then hit again and then hit again. And the big hit will come. And if we're not ready for it, it'll be like Jericho. It'll be everything coming down, the community going away. And Joanne says, again, you know, we mentioned this in, in the parables, the episode two, but you don't know that you can't read the future. No one can. And Lauren says this, you can if you want to. It's scary, but once you get past the fear, it's easy. And I love this idea that it's like, we're going to die in here. Like, that's definitely going to happen unless we figure out how to get busy and learn the skill sets we need to know to survive. Yeah. And it feels impossible. I I really understand Joanne because sometimes I'm like, mm. yo, I don't know. I like where where am I going? You know, That's and right. I and I yeah, I'm not a walking person. 
you know? So I'm always like, if we have to walk, like, I'm not sure. I need to figure out what my position is going to be in in all of this. It's really deep. I love this, too, that she's talking about the political situation in a very sophisticated and nuanced way, which is that the president, Donner, is just a human banister. Mm. And she's really talking there about how people who want to hold on to the old ways and Mm -hmm. like cling to the old ways, he gives them a way to cling to the past, a past that is no longer possible, a past that is not coming back, but he gives them that way, which feels very much like what Trump is to us right now, is there's some people who are refusing to face the future, and here he comes with a patriarchal regressive worldview that denies that the climate is being impacted by humanity. And we all have to figure out how to continue our work towards the future while so many people are holding on and grasping on to him. So I love that that this is the level of sophistication that they're having their conversations. Like if you're living in the world and you're paying attention, there's some navigation that can happen at a very young age. And for these young people who are coming up now and in this near future period, it actually really behooves them to be thinking about the world as theirs and developing an analysis and understanding who's what and what's happening in it. Here, here. I find it really interesting. I've had so many conversations with, you know, people where they're talking about voting and people, um, a lot of people really consider it like a, a power that they have to use or not use. And it's so interesting to me to not think about young people and, um, and the worlds that they have to grow up in and who, what will be available to them. And if we look at, you know, folks um, electing Trump or letting him be elected through all the things he did, you have damage to the educational system. You have damage to the environment. You have someone who who doesn't understand governing. At all. At all. You know, even if you don't like our system of governing, it, it it's really bad when somebody doesn't understand and know it, yes. you know. And, and they're supposed to be running it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then some of the things he says, he's he's heartless. I mean, you can't be looking at California and telling them, like, y'all didn't sweep up the, the leaves. And the <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, and um, the disregard. I don't think he understands water. I don't. I don't think he understands how little fresh water there is on the planet um, yeah. that humans can actually access, or li- living, breathing things can access. So it's it's really deep that um, you know young people must you know look at us and be like, why is this so hard for you? Yes. Like why why can't you vote for your local people that are awesome? And then vote like next up and then like pick the person that's not going to kill us, yeah. you know, or do the least damage and yeah. um, and and stop like really pretending like there's any other job. That's like, right. Because there isn't. And I feel like understanding these systems of governance, I, I think about this often that part of my reticence with the voting system has had to do with the electoral college and the, and the actual structures, right? And has had to do with senses I'm like oh how do I let this feel meaningful to me and again I think so much of it is participating in the structure with an intention of shifting the structure and the thing I keep thinking about is how do we practice like I feel like so much of what Lauren is saying is how do we practice we have to practice governance even if we're not in charge in this moment or in charge of the whole big shebang we have to practice 
governance. We have and and surrendering governance. You know, I think about this a lot. That I'm like, I'm often in situations where people are willing to give me some power, right? Being a facilitator means people are sort of like, oh, you probably know what to do, <laughs> right? And sometimes I know what to do, or at least know where to point to. A lot of times I don't know what I'm doing. And it's taken me a long time to be able to acknowledge, admit that I actually don't know what to do. I don't know how to make this decision. I don't have all the information or the skills or the analysis to make this. And how in those moments can we also surrender? Like to me, part of governance and being in a cooperative or collaborative system is knowing when to say, I don't know, or I can't do it. And a president like Don or a president like uh, 45, that's the to me, the largest flaw that they're holding. It's not just having a regressive politic. It's having no capacity to bring in people who actually know and to listen to people who know, right? Um, that having power in the current moment is more important than the survival of the species. And so the humility it would take to ask a question that might reduce your power because people are like, oh, you don't know that. Maybe someone who knows that should be in charge of it, mm. right? There's a humility that's needed to be like, yeah, someone who knows it should be in charge, and yeah. it's not me, even yeah. if I'm a white man and I thought I always deserved this role. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I know this, like, we we in this contemporary conversation, but... Um, yeah. I, Octavia does that, too. She sometimes. does that. <laughs> you know, I saw um, Stacey Abrams speak, Ooh. and... I think she's one of the most brilliant people I've ever I mean, she's been in a room with in my life. Oh my God. But she said something about, well, she explained so many things and it made me realize like the, the news that we're getting is, is sometimes not telling us like just directly what we need to know That's to right. understand like a situation. Yeah. And um, like she broke down the dude that, that is now the governor that she ran against. Oh yeah. That like that dude is is got problems. Like yes. he has, you know, problems as a human being. Yeah. He's really vicious. He's done terrible, terrible things. And um, and again, like you know, looking at the infrastructure of who has power and what they're allowed to relentlessly do because they have the 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 institution has been built to empower them, exactly. and then you can't get rid of them. And so, like, that this man could be in charge of, like, the voting things and run for election at the it's same time outrageous. and purged all these people. He's a horrible person. He is. But I really love where you're going with this idea of, like, we see these vicious behaviors. We see these regressive behaviors. And we don't, no one stops them. And I will say, I've seen this happen a number of times in movement space. And it's one of the things that I'm like, oh, this is a habit we need to break. Mm. Is that there'll be someone who everyone's like, oh, that person's problematic. They're always patriarchal in the meeting. They're always interrupting people. They're always taking us backwards. You know, they take up all the space. They don't lead from integrity. They steal money from everybody. There's just like stuff where people <laughs> are like, this person does this. And we have not figured out ways to actually intervene on bad behavior. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we cancel sometimes or we'll call for the cancellation of someone, which so far does not work at all as a strategy because what it does is it, it says, oh, you're canceled in this context. And then that person just moves themselves to some other context where they're fine and they begin all over again and usually end up causing harm again. Um, or they get disappeared, you know, in some way. And 
but they, there's not a, oh, here's the different behavior. The behavior doesn't get stopped. The behavior gets to perpetuate. And I'm so interested in oh, how do we actually intervene on the behavior? If we're part of a group where one person keeps being really patriarchal, how do we stop and say we will not move forward until that behavior stops? So what do we need to do as a culture? And I think we get very passive aggressive and like, um, we pull back from the conflict, the generative conflict that's needed in those moments mm-hmm. to step in and be like, it's not, you know, so I see this play out in a lot of rooms where we'll be like, some, you know, there's a pattern of like, you know, some people are like, you know, like, you know, somebody somewhere is like, you know, there's something. And like, yeah. no one will actually just be like, you, yeah. John, yeah. are being an asshole. The way you talk to women is unacceptable. It has to stop. So what do we need to do? Training? Are you committed to shifting? The culture is this. But really having those more explicit conversations and having a price to pay. That's like the culture is advancing. We are advancing towards feminism. We are advancing towards um, decolonization. We are advancing towards right relationship with the planet. If you're not keeping up, this is not the space for you. Right. And that's different to me from cancellation. That's a really, you know, to me, that's a disciplined way of talking about what is the rigor of staying in and co-evolution with other people? And what is the cost of of lagging behind in a cultural evolutionary process that is actually important for the species to survive? Right on. Right on. All right. I kind of got going there. Yeah, you did. But you sounded good. Okay, good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) well then the rain stops (laughs) the rain stops yeah and i love this question the end of this chapter is like basically she just is like i don't know when the rain's gonna come again and to me that it live it always every time i read this chapter it leaves me with that parched feeling of like water is so precious so that brings me to the questions i have for this chapter Mm -hmm. the first of which is do you currently honor rain and water appropriately or do you take it for granted and how do you know right i've been Um, working with all of these water people yeah and unc and they they uh you know they make me really aware Mm -hmm. um as like the great sarah long would say there is one water yes like there's not many waters there's one there's just one the water is the water is the water. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, Destiny Hemphill wrote a, a badass poem. Okay. Yeah. I I'll share that. it with you. Yeah, please do. Maybe we can post it. Yeah. I um, I love that. And I feel that, like, I remember my friend Gopal Dianini, um, I was on, like, a phone call with him, a meeting once, and he was in the bathroom with his kid, and they were brushing teeth. And, the you know, there was just a moment there where he was like, all right, turn the water off while you, you know, get the foam going in your mouth because every drop of water is precious. And is you know, you could hear the little kid voice, every drop of water is precious, you know, like doing a little kid thing. And it was just like, right, like it's being ingrained into that child how to be in right relationship with water that is precious, which to me is so different from a scarcity model, right? It's like there's enough water for us. There's abundant water, but it is also precious. It shouldn't be wasted. It shouldn't be destroyed. It shouldn't be toxified. So I think it's a really important question. You know, I live in Detroit, and it's a question we deal with here because we're like, 
situated by 25% of the world's fresh water, but there's been so much battle and fight. Um, we have water warriors because there's been so such a lack of integrity in how governance has navigated water here and protecting our right to water, making sure that everyone here has access to clean water all year long, that it's not shut off for people. Um, who owns the water here? Is it Nestle? Is it other corporations? Or do we get to have access to this water of this place? And I always have this other question around indigenous ownership of everything. And, you know, on stolen land, who does the water belong to? And mm. how do we be in right relationship to water? So I think this question, wherever you are, feels like a really important one. Is like, where are you at personally? Where are you at as a community? Um, another question that feels somewhat in the line of that is, there's so much that's happening in this book where they're just like, oh yeah, it's been six years since it rained. Like it's normalized now. Mm -hmm. And so I think about this question, are there changes that have occurred in your lifetime that feel normal now, but when they happened, they felt really horrific? Like mm. It was like, I can't imagine us doing that or that becoming a norm. Is there anything like that for you? Uh, yeah, I think the the shooting the kids in schools. Yes. I'm yeah. just like, wait, what? Yeah. You know, like that's like... I mean, I refuse to get numb to it, but it's it's extraordinary to me. It cuts, you know, it cuts yeah. across like, um, you know, race and class. And yeah. um, and so to me, it's like a uniting um, issue. Yeah. Um, I would say that. And then the other is just the turning over of currency to corporations ah, that we... Yes. But like we actually don't care to have ownership of our currency that we like I'm like wait what what collaboration do you think you can have with a corporation around money that would benefit you and as my accountant would like to say why do you need six or seven ways to pay for things that come from the same bank account Right. And why do you keep making these people billionaires? <laughs> it's just, just so yes. humbling. So yes. it's, I, you know, but it's really devastating. Like if you look around the world, you know, um, people are very diligent with cash. Yes. And they plan their entire lives and they work hard and they save their cash. And then at some point they were like, all right, we'll trust these banks because maybe I shouldn't just be, you know, keeping my cash in my house. But then the banks turn around and go, well, what if we can get rid of cash yeah. and just have you like, you know, completely dependent, completely dependent and like electricity. Honey, I learned that lesson so hard the yeah. year that the IRS came for my money because I had been raised like you always keep some cash in the house and then, you know, have your money in your bank, whatever. And then, and, you know, I didn't pay my taxes for 13 years as a war tax resistor. And then the IRS caught up with me and... I was at a grocery store and they froze my accounts and emptied my accounts and I had no, like I had like maybe three hundred dollars at the house, right? Mm. And I was like, you know, like I mean, I can still remember, you know, the feeling in my system of like, I I did not prepare for this. This is right. it, and I did not prepare adequately for this moment, and then it was like I don't know if cash is actually the right preparation either. Um, but I have to think about value. 
Right. I have to think about like, what is of value? What labor can I do that is of value? What things might I have or might I bring or carry with me that is of value? Um, Because I also think, you know, we see so many places now where uprisings happen and cash, sometimes it's useful and sometimes it loses all meaning because there's nothing to refer it back to, right? Like cash that doesn't actually tie back into something starts, you know, it becomes valueless. So I love this idea like of, oh, what is, what is it that we are signing on for or normalizing that's actually not acceptable? Yeah, like, you know, I'm always like, I don't think we've made a big enough statement around the killing of children in schools. Yeah, because not at all. Was, as soon as it happens, it's like this system, they, they close the school, they, they clean the school, they come up with some legislation of what to do that's violent. And terrifying the children. Yes. And then everybody sends their kids back to school. Exactly. And then it's like, but what did they do to make you think like anything is anything actually is, safer? Is actually like what changed? Yeah. You know? And right. And that advocacy. So what I hear embedded in what you're saying is like the move would be we stop sending our children into these schools until the these policies actually shift and, and guns are not available to every single person you know yeah Yeah. anyway um, but those are those are two things that I'm like I'm really stunned by yeah you know in my life in my lifetime um yeah I mean I would add for me the border the way that the border is being mm. held um and that the concentration camp piece where I feel like you know I grew up partially in Germany because my dad was in the army and there was just such a collective national shame around concentration camps, but also a question uh, always of like, well, what would you have done? You know, like what would anyone have done in that? And it's like, oh, now we're living in these conditions and we get to see what it looks like, right? How, how quickly people are normalized and become complicit in and, you know, complain about, but don't disrupt culture for. Yeah. Um, so, I want people to sit with that question, not just on a federal level, but on a local level mm-hmm. in your community, maybe even in your family, because I think some of these patterns start at the level of family and then spiral out into being collective, larger collective problems. Um, so are there lies that you are comfortable with in your family or patterns of abuse, um, patterns of pain and harm that you're just comfortable with in the family that have become normalized? and? Um, Another quote from Lauren that leads to a question that I love is, so she says, I mean to learn everything I can while I can. Mm -hmm. Like she has this conscious sense of being in a period before everything completely falls apart where she's, you know, as you said, voraciously learning everything she can to survive. And a question that Kat generated for this, which I love is where do you find that kind of discipline? Right. How do you hone it? How do you develop it? How do you grow it? I think this is, to me, this would be a good journaling question for everyone is to just really sit with, in your own life, where do you already have discipline? Because I think everyone does, we have this sense of like, I have none. I'm like, everyone has some. Your discipline might be externally generated. So you are disciplined about showing up on time for your job for someone else, Mm -hmm. but not disciplined about 
your own self practices. I hear that a lot from writers and creative people that they're like, I'm super disciplined if I'm on someone else's deadline. But then when it's just time to write my album or write my book or write my poems or whatever, then I, I lack discipline. So it's like, well, where does the discipline come in for your survival? If you have to shift how you're eating, shift how you understand food, shift where you store things, shift how you generate your resources, where's that discipline? And then how do you galvanize others to actually take action to prepare for survival, right? Like how do you move it beyond the conversation she's in with Joanne, which is, I think, one of the most powerful ways. And I think that Octavia constantly says, that's the thing. You have to be willing to sit one-to-one and be in a conversation, a difficult conversation, and hold a line and be willing to push it. But Octavia talks about three steps here. Get ready for what's going to happen. Get ready to survive it. And get ready to make a life afterwards. Yeah? Boom. One, two, three. Boom, boom, boom. Right. So I think about that. How are you actually doing those three things, looking at those three components of your survival? And then how are you inviting other people into that survival planning and survival journey with you? Um, And then the last question I have for this chapter is what are your superficial comforts? Mm. I was thinking about this for myself that I really get comforted by watching television and Often it'll be like television that is really bad, like embarrassingly bad. Um, But something about it really comforts me, I think, in a way of being like, oh, you're not there. You know, like whatever, however bad your day was or however bad your decisions were, at least you're not, um, you know, trying to date someone that you met through this television show. And it makes me feel better about myself. And I don't want to get rid of it necessarily. Like it is a superficial comfort that, does comfort me, right? Like it stays at a surface level, but it really takes care of something. But I'm curious for more people to really be transparent and name those things that are superficial comforts and understand how much is it assuaging the need for comfort? How much is it delaying the experience of actual comfort? Ooh. You know, I'm like, oh, watching TV has gotten me through months. I probably should have just paused and like not done done it that way that month <laughs> um, because I actually needed a deep break and instead I was just like, I'll just zone out. <laughs> That's a, such a good question. Okay, good. So those are our questions for chapter five and fin. We are happy to share this song, The Water, a collaboration between me and Destiny Hemphill featuring Destiny Hemphill. Check it out. Apocalypso song number eight, The Water Chance. After overhearing Toshi Regan. Listen. There's no my water over here, no there water over there. The water is the water. The water over here is the water over there. The water is the water is the water. The water is the water in the now times. The water is the water in the future that remains. Within the now times is the future that remains. The water is the water is the water. 
When somebody starts by poisoning us, they end by poisoning themselves. Because the water is the water. He said you play the water. You play yourself. Because the water is the water. The water remembers that the water is the water. Even when they try to make us forget, the water is the water. The water will remind us the water is the water. Listen. The same sweat that drenched Grandma Nellie's back in the fields once was and is. The same pleasant tears gliding down your face as you laugh once was and is. The same river your daddy before he was your daddy got baptized in once was and is. The same fog still lingering over that battlefield. The water is the water is the water. This is not to mean all our vulnerabilities are the same. No, this is not to mean that all our vulnerabilities are theirs, or theirs are ours, or that we all need water in the same way. But to remind the water is the water, and to remind that your violence can become another's vulnerability, and to remind the contingency you impose can become the contingency you oppose, and to remind vex the water, eventually you'll hex yourself. The water is the now times. The water is the future that remains. The water can lull you to sleep as you rest under a tin roof. The water can leave you up a creek without a paddle. The water can grieve you. The water can grieve you. You better believe the water. Even when we make the water move heavy with lead, oil, and dross. Even when the water washes us over with loss, the water is the water. The water knows violence, yes. The water knows care too. The water knows that suffering ain't the only thing that cultivates virtue. The water is the water is the water. The water knows that you can be better by doing better. The water is the water. The water can cleanse you. The water can mess you. The water can mold you. The water can erode you. The water can preserve you in its belly. The water can hold you up. The water can hold you down. Oh yes, the water can hold you. Oh yes, the water can hold you. Oh yes, the water can hold you. The water is the water is the water. Listen. Listen. There's a new world coming, everything gonna be turning over, everything gonna be turning over, where you gonna be standing when it comes. There's a new world coming, everything gonna be turning over, everything gonna be turning over, where Thank you for listening to our show. Octavius Parables is hosted by Toshi Regan and Adrian Marie Brown. It's produced by Kat Aaron. Music for Octavius Parables podcast. Always see the stars written and performed by Toshi Regan. There's a new world coming performed by the cast and musicians of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, the opera lead vocalist Shana Smalls written by Bernice Johnson Regan with additional lyrics by Toshi Regan, both based on the novel Parable of the Sower by Octavia 
E. Butler. And our show art is by Krista Franklin. You can find us on Twitter at OParables and sustain our show by becoming a patron at patreon.com backslash OParables. Please share this podcast with anyone you think it would be useful for. So be it. See to it.